The short lifespan of so many products today is killing the earth. The culprit is planned obsolescence. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. We've all experienced frustration over a product that breaks or goes out of date before what we consider to be its time. They're doing it on purpose, we say. It's planned obsolescence to make us buy more stuff. Then we go and snap up the latest version of the hottest mobile phone, PC, car, or item of apparel. Now there's somebody who wants to call consumer products managers to account for their relentless pushing of the new and novel to the point of depleting the Earth's resources. She is Camilla Pope a Brazil-based lecturer, researcher, and lawyer with a specialty in environmental and bio-law. Her new book is called Understanding Planned Obsolescence, Unsustainability Through Production, Consumption, and Waste Generation. In it, she recounts the history of the concept, byproduct of a consumer society that depends on continuous growth for its continued survival. But Pope doesn't think we should settle for that. She describes measures being enacted by regulators to curb the practice of planned obsolescence, even to the point of putting corporate miscreants in jail. How can we get off the treadmill? Here is my conversation with Camilla Pope. Camilla Pope, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Bob. It's a pleasure to be here talking to you today. Camilla, the concept of planned obsolescence has been with us for a very long time. Why are we having this discussion now? Recently, we have some new political and legal actions working with the concept of planned obsolescence, basically against this practice. In Europe, for example... We have this project going on in the European Union. They are trying to ban plan obsolescence from the European Union. This trend is being followed by some countries, members of the European Union. We have, uh, as a good example, France. They have a new legislation which criminalizes the practice of plan obsolescence with very heavy fines and even punishment of prison. Also, in Brazil, we have a lawsuit which was filled against the company, a technology company, because of the practice of penobsolescence. And the same uh, type of actions, they're being used in the U.S. So all of this context brought up the questioning of this practice. Because, uh, as you mentioned, it's, a, it's not a new practice. It's been going on for a considerable long time especially after the the 50s, but it was invented even before, it was created even before that. But more recently, we're having all of these actions talking about penobsolescence, and also I think it's becoming more obvious that this practice is not sustainable anymore. So as the environmental concern, it's a big thing at the moment. So all of this unsustainable practice, they have been challenged. So that's why we are talking about this. 
Well, you talk in your book, Understanding Planned Obsolescence, about the history of the concept of planned obsolescence, how we have become a society of producers, how the concept of planned obsolescence is really the very basis of modernity in our society today. That sounds like a pretty hard thing to change. So with that in mind, for all the lawsuits and all the laws that are being passed now, how can we fight what is really at the very, seems to be at the very heart of our economy today? We can go and talk about the origins of plan obsolescence. And um, I, in my book, I divide the origins of the reasons for the, the practice of plan obsolescence basically in uh, four different reasons or four pillars. The economic reason, sociological reason, and the two, let's say, deeper reasons that I call anthropological reason and um, ethical reason. All of these reasons, they ground the strategy of penobsolescence. I would say the more evident is the economic reason. It's due to our economic model, because our economic model is based in growth, and therefore we need a production and consumption in constant increase to keep our economy growing. And to keep this growth, these strategies, they were developed to, to maintain the whole system. And uh, among them, we have penobsolescence. Apart from the economic reason, we have the sociological reason. As you mentioned, we, we're living in a consumer society, which was inaugurated with mass consumption, with the consumerism. So we, we had a very high, or we still have a very high productive industry which needed to, to have higher consumption levels. All of these strategies created, among them uh, penobsolescence, changed the, the consumption behavior of, of our society. And also our relationship with nature as well. And here we have these two different reasons, the anthropological reason and the ethical reason. We are having a distancing from nature because of many reasons, several different reasons, like the urbanization, the work specialization. So all of these, these reasons are distancing us from nature, from its natural process, and also from the, the view and understanding of the whole. So we have a lack of understanding of the real impacts and consequences of our actions and behaviors. All of these reasons together, they ground the need to keep this, all of these strategies going on. But are they, of course, unsustainable? They are generating costs and environmental impacts that we need to take into account. But again, you have just described a state of affairs that sounds very, very difficult to turn around. Number one, an economy that rests on the very idea of modernity and planned obsolescence. And number two, the psychological aspect. The consumer has, who has been trained, so to speak, to be obsessed with novelty, with new, with the next version, with the upgrade, throwing away the old stuff. You're challenging that, that mindset. Are you optimistic that you can do that? <laughs> yeah, Bob, you're completely right. This is a very complex subject. There is no easy and um, single answer for this challenge. We need to, to go deeper and think about our own values and what is really important to us as a society to live well. Because one, one point I would like to 
to make is um, this economic model we have based in growth. It's actually a fiction because we live in a finite world, we live in a limited world. So is it, is it biophysically impossible to have completely economy and growth without any limits? We have this physical limitation and um, we are already crossing all of the borders of nature. So we have environmental problems as climate change, pollution and loss of biodiversity. All of these problems, they have been caused by our economic model, this fiction, which is not necessarily the same thing as well-being. Many of these countries, based on the GDP, they have a very high GDP, but uh, they are not necessarily investing this growth in well-being to the society. So what we need, really need to have to live well is to have all of these ecosystems service provided by nature keep going to our generation and for future generations as well like fresh water, clean air, food, and all of the all other ecological services. And this is what is really important. Have you been able, or has anyone been able, to put a number on the cost to society and the, wor and the earth and the economy of planned obsolescence? What is the price tag that we're paying, so to speak, or is, or is it difficult to quantify that? Well, we are, there are different studies, different research that are pointing out that we have a kind of safe zone where we can still live well in our planet. And uh, there are borders that if you cross these borders, we're going to start to struggle to, to keep the balance of our planet. So all of these studies, they are proving we are crossing some of these borders borders and if you don't stop or if you don't change our economic model we're not gonna sustain this for much longer we are we are uh, challenging our own existence in our planet okay let's talk about solutions you mentioned a couple of pretty scary words at the beginning of our conversation you said criminalize you said prison you're talking about <laughs> eu and brazilian measures what exactly are these measures that are being put into place to actually criminalize planned obsolescence it is exactly what is happening and um, if you see in, in france they have this legislation it's already working and the european union is working in this direction as well because they have this project trying to ban the practice of planned obsolescence from europe and they have european commission circular economy package where they committed to trying to create some methodologies to to identify the companies who are using plan obsolescence and are trying to to create basically we have an, um, in a legal point of view we have different instruments we can use or that are being used to ban or to try to tackle plan obsolescence we have command and control instruments and we have economic instruments the command and control instruments, they are basically, they, they criminalize the practice and that they try to change the behavior of these companies and the consumer as well, the consumers as, as a whole. And the economic instruments, they try to incentivize different practices, like a more sustainable business model or more sustainable production and consumption patterns. And that using these two ways, 
the legal point of view are trying to tackle plan obsolescence. And from the political point of view, we are presenting plans and, and public policies to try to, to have a paradigm shift to trying to establish a new economic model. And this is very clear in Europe when they are trying to reach this new type of economy called circular economy. What types of products are they targeting? Are we talking about high tech? Are we talking about apparel, automotive? What, what else? What exact industries are, are being subjected to these new rules? Plan obsolescence, it's, um, it's a practice that is it's used by all kinds or all different types of industries. We have basically three types of plan obsolescence. We have the plan obsolescence of desirability, which is basically a strategy to make it the, the product outdated as a result of its appearance, its design, or making it less desirable. And this is typical from the fashion industry. But of course, other types of industry are also using this type of plan obsolescence. We have the plan obsolescence of function, which is basically to, to make a product obsolete with the launch on the market of another product or the same product with improvements, which is able to perform the same function as the old one, but a more in a more efficient manner. And we have the plan obsolescence of quality, which occurs when the producers, they determine the lifetime of their products, developing or using techniques or materials of inferior quality. All of these types of plan obsolescence, you can see it's very broad and they um, have been used for different types of industry. So it's, it's uh, you can't, we can't limited these new rules and then these new policies to one type of industry. It can affect all of them as long as they are using somehow the strategy of penobsolescence. But I could foresee a difficulty. If you're passing a law against plan obsolescence, how do you identify it? I mean, you just mentioned those three points. For instance, how, how much time does a producer get between releasing versions of a product? If it comes out every six months, it maybe it's planned obsolescence, but if they wait two years, it's not. I mean, how do you point to a company and say, you are practicing planned obsolescence? It doesn't seem like they are really strict criteria that can define it that well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, you're completely right. This is probably the biggest challenge to put these rules and, and uh, legislation in practice. I would say the easiest way to do that is to try to, to change or, or to tackle pen obsolescence is to incentivize new types of business models. For example, if a company has a um, goal of transparency or, or uh, opening all of the support supply chain to their customers to see from where their product comes from and how it's made. And at these companies, they have, for example, uh, tax release or different economical incentives. This could be a good way to try to overcome this practice. The circular economy package, they are trying to develop new, new methods and new ways to identify the companies who are doing it. But it's definitely, this is the biggest challenge they will face to try to put this, this legislation in, in practice. I agree so, with you. So a combination, on one hand, punishment. On the other hand, incentives. Yeah, you're looking, yeah. You're coming at it from two directions. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also, of course, we can still look at the business actions and even consumer actions from the business point of view. If we need to develop new types of business with more sustainable production models and, and patterns. And this is a, would be a very proactive way to tackle penobsolescence coming from the producer's sector. And from the consumer point of view, we need to think we take our own, own res responsibility as well, changing our behavior and trying to reach more sustainable consumption patterns. And of course, we can always try to use legal actions against pen obsolescence, as we are seeing in Brazil or happened in Brazil with this action, which is still going on. We don't have the final decision yet, but um, as soon as we have, we definitely will be a landmark on the subject. What about in Europe? Is it in, is the law in place in Europe? We have this law in France, but um, as long as I know that we don't have any action using this law because it's very recent. It was end of 2015, if I'm not wrong. So uh, we're still waiting to see what will happen and how this law will be used. And um, in a European Union level, there is no directive yet. They're just working on it and then doing this project, organizing events and then talking with all of this, the stakeholders to trying to find ways to overcome this practice. It's hard to imagine Tim Cook of Apple or an executive of any other company sitting in jail because they tried to make their new products more desirable than their old ones. I guess, realistically, we probably shouldn't expect to see that, should we? Yeah, it's very hard to imagine that. But what we need to understand is um, there is a trend, and that this trend is taking us to a different type of economy and a different type of business. All of these big companies who are based or used in plant obsolescence, they some point they will face problems, if not from the legal perspective, because they are already facing a lots of legal actions, but they are somehow still being favored, and especially in the U.S. courts. But uh, they will, in the future, I believe they will have a more conscious consumers who will start to understand the real impacts of this throwaway culture and I want more sustainable products. So this is, uh, I think this will drive these big companies to make a change. Just one more question, more of a personal one really. You are an expert in environmental law and bio-law, but I'm wondering how you became interested in this particular issue of planned obsolescence? How did it kind of come to your attention? This is a very interesting question. I think it probably was when um, I started to try to understand all of the... Because I, I would say that the consumption and production patterns we have currently are probably the biggest reason to the environmental crisis we are currently living so um, when I understood that, I started to try to, to see where all of the consumer goods they came from and where they were going to. And when you start to, to try to analyze the life cycle of the products, so a plan obsolescence stood out as a very big issue for me. 
I think it's common sense that this practice it's unsustainable. But of course, the, uh, inside this economic model we have, it makes sense. But if we challenge the economic model we have, if we realize that this model is not possible or is not realistic in real terms, we will see that panopsolescence, of course, needs to be tackled. And, uh, and it was why I decided to start studying it. And also, I got very excited to know there are some companies, they are already trying to, to make difference. We have now companies inside what we call the sharing economy. And all of these companies, they are still, they, of course, they still need to make profit. But the profit they make, it's based in long-lasting products because their, their products, they're not based in ownership anymore. So if the, the products, they last longer, they will make more profit from this pro, from these products they're producing. And then we have different, uh, some good examples on this. The book is called Understanding Plant Obsolescence, Unsustainability Through Production, Consumption, and Waste Generation. The author is my guest, Camilla Pope. Camilla, thank you so much for taking the time with us to talk about this critical issue. Thank you very much for being with us. Oh, thank you, Bob. It was a pleasure to talk to you about this very exciting subject. And I hope uh, we can, in future, see all of these practices overcome that are having a more sustainable consumption and production patterns. That was my conversation with attorney Camilla Pope, author of a new book, Attacking the Practice of Planned Obsolescence. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where you post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.